0: I want to just carry on on the series on Purpose and Destiny, Destiny and Purpose. And uh, we've done uh, two sessions on that. I want to pick up and and, uh, in a way I just want to look back at what we did last week and pick it up again. Because uh, what we were doing last week, if you don't get this part, then getting to just the practicals of what's your destiny, what's your purpose, you're going to miss it. You've got to have the big picture before you see where you fit in the big picture. Uh, The next time I get up to minister, I will share with you just specific ways that you can identify God's purpose in your own life. I want to show you what it is you can look to that will help you identify for you specifically your own purpose or what God has called you to do it's not very hard but it does unfold and we'll share with you some of the practicals on that but before I share the practicals on that I really did want you to get the bigger picture miss the bigger picture you miss the whole deal and you miss why you're doing what you're doing and uh, and and so on I was uh, up in hospital uh, just I got caught up to the hospital on it was a Friday night or something and uh, I was just, just talk about just one out of the blue just uh, Diane rang me up, and she she works in a chemist shop, and she said, Do you know a guy so-and-so? And she told me who he was. I said, I know him. I haven't seen him in 20 years. She said, Well, he's dying up in the hospital. had a heart attack, and he's up there now dying. And I said, Oh, thank you for letting me know. I, want to go, I felt to go up and see him. And, uh, he, and uh, this, this guy that um, I mentioned before in the church, and that's how she realized who it was, you see. He used to be a gang leader of the mongrel mob up in Auckland. And when we started out the church, he uh, came into the church around about the second year, I suppose, that's got to be at 1986, I guess. And uh, we had these pumping meetings down there in St. Auburn Street and it was fair rocking and, and upsetting all the neighbors like normal. And uh, you know, just rocking with life. You know, you'd hear it all around and, and the whole group of these gang guys came in and, and, uh, and this guy had tattoos all over him, big bushy hair all over like this. And he had all these, sure the mates all came in and hung around the back. Must have been probably about eight to 10 of them, I guess. And, uh, and uh, they flogged our offering box at one stage. We got it back. with There wasn't much in it, though. Yeah, there wasn't much in it those days. <laughs> but uh, but uh, anyway, and, and there he was up there dying. And, and uh, I led him to the Lord. I remember leading him to the Lord. And I remember uh, confronting religious people in the church uh, who, um, who had no heart for people like this. And uh, all they wanted was a nice ministry, but they didn't really want to deal with the real issues of life. So I rapidly told them they could go, and he could stay. <laughs> I mean, you know, you've got to not be judgmental about people. You've got to have a heart of the kingdom, you know, because we're called to represent the kingdom. And anyway, uh, this young this guy got saved, and uh, and uh, we we kind of had him stay at our house. You know, he stayed in Dave's room, and, and then we, we took him down to Barry Ward. There's Barry over there. Barry was youth pastoring down in Dannywork and. Roy went down there and say, Barry hit him out on the farm from the gang, you know, because they had all these people in Auckland after him. And, <laughs> well, they'd been doing a shooting up there and they all wanted him and they were trying to find him. So he hid out there and Barry really did a great job looking after him. But then he went into town one day and the gang found him there and he got drawn back in the gang. And uh, so, of course, anyway, his life just fell apart. Eventually he left the gang and uh, but, but his whole life fell apart. Now, you know, there he must be a young guy, younger than me anyway. And he, uh, there he was lying on a hospital bed and in intensive care dying. And I thought to him, you know, here's a man who one point stood up, felt the presence of God, came to a meeting because he felt the presence of God, heard the gospel, made a decision to receive Jesus, but then actually never embraced God's purpose for his life. And so he had the last 20 years of his life were absolutely wasted. And I felt a tremendous sadness as I looked at him lying there, knowing that I'd led this man to the Lord, but in 20 years, when he made the decision to leave Barry's care down in Danny Burke, he wandered out of God's purpose for his life and he's actually wasted his life. We, we shared the gospel with him again, prayed over him and he was supposed to die that night but he's still alive so who knows, you know. But I thought, well, I felt two things. One is just a great privilege to be able to come and pray for him and snatch him out of the devil's hands before he goes to wherever. And uh, second thing was uh, just a reminder of how a life without purpose is is empty and meaningless. We must anchor to the purpose of God for our life. And so I want to just pick this whole thought up again today and, and just follow it through. Let's just start off where we, we, we picked up one of those verses there in Romans eight, twenty eight to twenty nine. And uh memory says, We know all things work together for good, for those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. There it is, purpose. God has purpose. God does everything by purpose, he does nothing just I thought I'd just do that. He does everything by design. He has a purpose. Everything begins with his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined. There it is, the word destiny. That we might be conformed to the image of a son, that Jesus might be the first among many brothers and sisters. What a fantastic thing love to share more on that one. But here, let me just pick up a couple of things, just revising where we were so we can pick up and go back into Genesis again. Uh, we saw that destiny is a, uh, like a predetermined course of events that's leading somewhere. There's like a plan that's bigger than us. And uh, so God has a destiny for us. We also saw the word "their purpose, and purpose meant the reason something is made. And so whenever God makes something, he makes it after he's first decided what he wants to do with it. So purpose always comes before design and creation. And we saw that for every person sitting here, before you entered this world, two things God had prepared for you. One, he had a purpose for your life. He designed you with certain giftings, certain capacities to be able to do certain things on his behalf. And two, he had a course, a plan that you would walk out. He knew the decisions you'd make on the way and he never stops working to bring you to his, the fulfillment of his purpose and to bring you to the destination he has for you. You and I make the choices what we're going to do. And so if we have purpose in our life, if I know why I am here, what I should be doing, it gives me hope. A life without purpose is a life without hope. It gives me a reason. This is why I'm here. This is what my life is here to do. If I have no purpose, I have no reason for my existence that has huge impact on me. If, if, it gives me uh, focus for my life. If I have a sense of purpose in my life, I've got to focus. This is what I should do. That's what I should not do. If you have no purpose, you can't focus your life. Uh, it gives a meaning to your life. If I know why God's got me here, then everything I do has a meaning. Everything see most people because they have no clear purpose divide their life up into what happens in church and what happens the rest of the week this is not the way god wants us to live that's called dualism i may speak on it one time and it leads you to all kinds of sin and all kinds of issues in your life we we cannot be two people in two different places we're one person we're here we're there we're here we're there we're still god's people and you see the trouble with dividing our life up into this is church and that's the rest of the week is we never fulfill our purpose So purpose gives meaning to everything. And you may think, well, man, my life is a... I can't understand what all this other stuff I'm doing in the work is. Listen, when you've got God in your workplace, when you bring God into your workplace, then everything you do starts to outwork the purpose of God for your life. So here's the problem. Colossians 2 verse 8, it gives us a warning. It says, beware of vain philosophy after the tradition of men. Beware lest you be spoiled. And so there's a warning in the Bible that says... Don't let the philosophies of the world steal away from you or rob from you what God has intended for you. There are philosophies. That's a way of thinking, a way of believing. So the world is full of its philosophies. Think about that. What it believes, then it forms a philosophy. This is why I believe. It's a belief system. In the world you find, in the community, people believe certain things. You've got to get yourself ahead. Right? Now look out for number one. See, this is a way of thinking, and that way of thinking affects everything. You adopt the ways that the world thinks, you'll, you'll, never, you'll fall short of your purpose. So the Bible warns us not to embrace secular way of thinking. We need to understand our purpose and live passionately for it. Yes. Yes, come on. We need to do that. Okay, now one of the, one of the things, one of the philosophies in the world, I touched. on, I'm just going to keep touching it every now and then, and uh, maybe we'll get in and teach on it a bit one time. But evolution is, a, is a, such a philosophy. You see and it's taught like it's a fact it's taught like it's a fact by people who don't want to acknowledge there's a god it's taught as a fact when it is not a fact you can tell it's not a fact very simply no one's ever seen it no one's ever been able to do it it's never been recorded in any laboratory that can make such a change between species and it's unable to be proven and uh, however you have to understand this that if you embrace or take Evolution as a as a way of life. This is what the next. This is what it means. This it means you you're just the result of an accident in nature. That's what that's what evolution means to you. It means you're just an accident of nature. You're a mutation that turned up in the 21st century. Here you are. Some mutations are better than others. Some look very attractive, actually. Mutants. I'm not a mutant. That's for sure. No way am I going to brace that. And of course, here's the thing. If you, came by, if you came into the world by an accident, then there can be no purpose. There can be no reason for you being here. You have no meaning for your life. And, and not only that, there's no absolutes. There are no rules, no guidelines morally. Therefore, if you want to have sex before marriage, that's fine. If you want to be involved in homosexuality, that's fine. You want to take drugs, that's fine. All fine, everything's fine. See, there is a consequence if you believe certain things. And we wonder when our our schools have embraced this kind of thinking, why then the consequence is a lot of other things. And uh, as we begin during this year to teach you about the kingdom of God, it's going to challenge how you think about everything. It'll just challenge everything. Because we're called to a kingdom, not a democracy. And when we come into church, we think it's all a democracy. See, so the result of evolutionary philosophy means we've got no understanding of how we're designed, and the inevitable thing is we sense a meaningless and a, and a very low esteem But if I was designed by God and he thought of me before I came into the world and he had a plan for my life. Oh, and it leads somewhere and there's an eternal destiny which outworks as a result of what I do now. Well, now that is something to live for. That's, that's why it's important you discover your purpose. You must know what God called you to do Because otherwise everyone else has an agenda for your life. Eh? If you don't, you know, some people think it's God loves you and everyone else has got a plan for your life. No, God's got a plan for your life. And you've got to embrace it. You've got to discover it and embrace it. And We'll share with you the keys on that next time I'm up to speak. Okay then. So uh, we have eternity in our heart. We have a purpose. We have a destiny. We're people of destiny. People, we're not, not nobodies, yeah? And God has a plan. Okay then. Now, so what I want to do now is just look at the commission, the creation and commission of But Before we do that, let's look at Matthew 25 and verse 34. Matthew 25 and verse 34. Now, we're going to look at the creation and commission given to man. It hasn't changed, but it's just, you've got to understand what it is and how that works. Matthew 25 and verse thirty four, here it is. And this is what uh the Bible says, and it's talking about the end times, and it says uh he will set the verse thirty three, he'll set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left hand. The king will say to those on his right hand that's the sheep, those that can be led, the goats, they're different. The king will say to those on his right hand, look at this, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom now look at this inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Or putting it another way, it's like this: It's time for you to receive what I planned before I even brought the world into being. Before you ever turned up in the 21st century, I had planned a kingdom which you would be a part of, and now this is your moment to receive what I planned for you centuries ago, thousands of years ago. So you have to understand that in the scripture tells us very clearly that long before we ever came in, God had a kingdom he had set up and he intends for us to have a certain role in that kingdom. If you don't understand about kingdom, if you don't understand the Bible's teaching about kingdom, you can't make sense of a lot of what Jesus taught. You can't make sense of a lot of the parables. All of Jesus' teaching was about the kingdom. So we want to just have a look at it and see some things on it. Another time, I'll share with you a series on the kingdom of God, and you're going to find, it's going to just get you thinking. But I just want to sow the seeds right now. So, kingdom is a, is a government over a region, or it's a region, a kingdom is a region where a monarch or a king rules over with absolute authority. Kingdom is a region, a territory where a monarch rules. Now, he's, God is the king. And he's in charge. He's absolutely in charge because he made it all. It belongs to him. He is totally in charge. Whether you agree with that, like it, flow with it, rebellion, that's entirely up to you. But it doesn't change the fact he is still a king. He is the king and he's a king over a kingdom. Some parts are in harmony with his plan and other parts are not in harmony with his plan. And so he's the king over a kingdom. It's a a government. Now, the Bible tells us in uh, Psalm 145 verse 13 that God's kingdom or the kingdom that he set up, the sphere he set up, it's both invisible and visible. And it's an everlasting kingdom. In other words, it just goes on forever and ever and ever. God's rule. See, so God always existed and then he created and what he created became a kingdom invisible and visible. So there's an invisible kingdom. Where the Bible says there's principalities. There's a spiritual world all around us. It's an invisible world, but it's still real. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. It is there. It is real. And in that realm of the spirit, there are positions where uh, demonic spirits govern and affect things in the earth. But it was never intended to be that way. It was always intended man would rule the earth by connecting to heaven and living on the earth. So the Bible says in Psalm 145 verse 13, it is an everlasting kingdom. In, in uh, Psalm 103 and verse 19, it makes it clear that God's kingdom is a visible kingdom. You can see it. This is it here. And it's also invisible. You can't see it. It has a realm which is called heaven, a realm which is called the earth, an invisible part and a visible part. And it's all the kingdom of God, all the kingdom of God. There's only one part of it which is out of order. That's the earth. Okay the third thing about the kingdom of god is god, it rules over all the nations in Acts 17:26 act 17:26 it tells us very clearly that god has established long before any nation came into being god established when it would arise on the earth and when it would decrease he, he established the timing different nations would emerge. Like right now, in this season of our life, you see America is the dominant nation in the world perhaps. But you ha- all of us would have a sense it's about to tip over. And if you'd been around longer, at least as long as me or longer, you'd have been in a season when England was the dominant nation in the world. And then after two world wars, England diminished. And the Bible says God has Beforehand, predetermined the boundaries of nations. So nations, I remember as we were living, we were concerned that Russia was going to take over the whole world. It just seemed like it was, going to, it was just expanding and nothing could stop it. Nation after nation were going it look like it. But God had a plan how far it could go. And then it diminished. See, what you have to understand is the world is not out of control. God has got it all working out. You have to understand that. He sets up nations at the right time, and then they go down. Uh, there's a film on at the moment, Apocalypto. Mel Gibson uh, set up and did that film, and it's about a civilization that arose, and then it totally disappeared. So this is, this is uh, The Roman Empire was great and mighty, then it disappeared. Now, guess what? God was able to tell one of his prophets each of the nations that would arise. God spoke to Daniel, and he said to Daniel, he said, Listen, I want you to give the message for the king. He said, they gave the message to the king. He said, the king, listen, king, he said, you've got a great kingdom here. It's a magnificent kingdom. Shortly, it's going to be overthrown. And the next one that'll come be the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. It's going to rise up. How do I know? God said it. And then he says, after that, there'll be another kingdom inferior. That's the kingdom of Greece, and that'll rise up. He said, then after that, there'll be another kingdom called the kingdom of Rome, and that'll rise up. Anyone who studied history know that's exactly what happened. And yet God said it through a prophet before it happened. God knows when nations will arise, when nations will prosper, when they will fall. And he has exactly determined how far they can go. The Bible says it's the same. People get worried about global warming. And uh, there's a lot of stuff behind that too. But uh, the thing is, God said he'd never allow the waters to flow over the whole earth again. So there's only a limit to how far the waters can go. You've got to see what the word of God says. God is in total charge. It's all his. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it. The city belongs to Jesus Christ. Everything in it. Everyone in it. Everyone belongs to the Lord. The issue is whether we will acknowledge the king and his kingdom or not. And to acknowledge the king and then refuse to live by his laws makes you a lawbreaker. So whenever there's a kingdom, there's an absolute monarch, and there's a legal system that makes it operate, there's all kinds of, there's a constitution, there's all kinds of things make up the kingdom. We'll share on that another time, what makes up a kingdom, and why it's different to a democracy. And I uh, will to share with you how, you see, there's a kingdom that we're all a part of, and we either cooperate with it, and then we get the blessings of it, or we fight against it, and then we have all sorts of consequences. So part of understanding purpose is to understand God intended we would represent him in a kingdom we would be a family a royal family in the kingdom okay let's have a look at the original uh, mandate for man Genesis one twenty-six to 28 and I'll just come back over this from time to time in the year because it, it, we just it takes time to get it in we get set with certain ways and thinkings it takes a little time to get the thing, the thing into our heart Genesis one twenty-six and 27 Let's have a look at it. And here it is. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, all the earth, not one another, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living thing that moves on earth. You want to read Genesis, so most amazing thing. So this is what God said. Let us make man. See, let us make man. Now, what had God done before that? Well, God had made the earth. He'd made the planets. He made, he made the heavens and the earth. And then he put animals in the earth. He put uh, every living thing in the earth. And then after he's created all kinds of different species, a species is of a a kind of animal. It's it's something that has a unique characteristic. Then he says, now he didn't say this about anything else. Let us make man. And man is going to be different to everything else I've made. (laughs) Because man will be made in our image. Man will be like a representative of us in the earth. Man will not be like the animal kingdom. He will have a mind and will be able to think. He'll have a will and be able to choose. He'll have emotions, be able to feel. He'll have a heart for personal relationships. He will be able to be creative and design things. He will be like us. In in, uh, in uh, Psalm 8, it says, uh, "What is ma- Ah, Lord, when I look at the heavens and the earth and how vast they are, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you keep thinking about us? Or the son of man that you made him to have dominion over all the works of your hands. What an amazing thing. And he says, you made him a little lower than Elohim. Made him just a little lower than God. So you've got to understand when God designed you, he made you... Different to angels. He made you and me just a little lower than God. Because we've fallen a lot lower. But we're designed to be a little lower than God. Meaning the characteristics of God are in us. Creativity, passion, love, judgment. All kinds of things of God are in us. Wired into us. And we are at our core a spirit being like God. So everything you see on the earth is flesh what you see when you see a person is a spirit being. It's something of God in a person. Everything will pass away. But people have a spirit there. They've got a God stuff. We're the God species. That's why we're, I'm not like any animal on the earth. We're God species. We're God species. Unique. You can't... The only way you can become a God species if God made you that way. And that means you've got a spirit... And your spirit is the part of you that connects with the spirit world, spirit realm. You and I are designed for spirit living. We're designed to, un- to tap into the invisible world. There's nothing else like us on the earth. Nothing like us on the earth. How amazing that we're made spirit being. Why did he make Him? Look, he says, he created man and let us make man our own image and likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the year. Then he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth subdued, have dominion. Now, why did God make us? Here's, here's some things why God made us. He, he made, first of all, He made us to express what He's like. He wants the world to know what He's like. Now, He could make that happen two ways. One, He could step into the world. I'll come down and let you see me. And He did that one time on a mountain. They all got scared, didn't want to go near Him. So He said, okay, we won't do it that way. We'll do it a different way. We'll make man who's just like us and out of a relationship with man, then we'll express ourselves in the earth. So from the invisible realm of heaven, we will express our dominion and kingdom in the earth through the man we've made. So he made us to express what God's like. God is loving. He's made you to be loving. When you're loving, you function right. He's made us to be creative. When we're creative, there's something great about creating. Anyone who's made something and then you see it all finished, it's a joy. Yes, I made it. When you go in and renovate a house, well, it feels good. We're made for this sort of stuff. We're made for these creative things because a bit of God is in us. Eh? We do to do the God thing. So we're called to function like God on the earth. God creates. God speaks. See, he does it. So we're made to express what God is like. We're made to enjoy a relationship with him, to connect with him. See, not not made for religion. That's why religion's a burden. We're made for a relationship. That means you talk with them. So if you come into a meeting here and, and I see that you've got your heads down and your hands down, you, there's no, nothing happening in there, you're missing the point. The point is we're made for a relationship, connecting with God who's invisible from our spirit. To worship him in spirit and in truth without anything... covered nothing's covered everything's out there for him we we understand he loves us eh? we're made there for dominion let us make man i know what he said in verse 26 let us make man in our image and likeness now what you got to understand that is a divine decree a decree is a statement of command and authority this is what god said man shall rule the earth Man shall rule the earth. We're called to rule the earth. We're called to bring God's life, God's power, God's creativity, God's nature into the earth. And let me tell you this. When you get saved, it's not to go to heaven. It's so you can do what you're designed to do. Bring God into the earth. So it doesn't matter whether you work in the church or work anywhere, you're still called, bring God into the earth. Bring God into my business. Bring God into my school. Bring God with me wherever I go. That's what we're made for. See, people get hung up on evangelism. You hear the word evangelism? Not for me. Well, listen, there are some people called evangelists that equip you so you can actually reach people as God would reach them you are actually designed to reach people you're designed to serve you're designed to meet needs so you need meet it you're designed for that that's kingdom see serving is the characteristic quality of the kingdom Jesus came into the world to serve to come in to engage people listen here's the problem that most people have with evangelism see if I go over to Bill here and you say I want to sell him a vacuum cleaner so I'll start off, and he thinks I'm building a relationship with him. Hey, Bill, how's it going? We start chatting and, chatting and chatting But then I suddenly flick the switch, and now I want to get in the cell mode. See? Now, immediately, what's, what immediately goes? Relationship. Because no longer is there relationship. I've now got an agenda I'm trying to impose on him, and that agenda now destroyed the relationship. And he says, get out of here. Yeah, nicely. Well, Bill would always say it nicely, I think. (laughs) Some of you would be a little more forthright. Is that right, Myra? (laughs) But the words are all the same. The introduction of an agenda actually change the power to relate. So when you work with people to reach them for Christ, you have to have no agenda, except to love them, value them, connect with them where they are not trying to do a hard sell do a hard sell the moment you start into your hard sell mode immediately they flick the lights there's no one home that's what happens see but love genuine love with no agenda is always easy to tell isn't that true okay so kingdom you're made for that you're made for that you're not made for trying to ram something down someone's throat you're made to connect with people and serve them minister their needs you're designed for that all of us are designed for that. It's just when you see a need meet that the Son of Man came not to be ministered to. He, listen, he had no expectation anywhere he went that it would all be nice there for him. He expected that he would fulfill his purpose, which is to meet needs. Sir. Because dominion in the realm of the kingdom means you use the life, authority, principles, power of God to serve people and help them discover their destiny and come through. But sometimes they don't want to do that. They just need an immediate help. They just need a practical lift up. We're going to talk a lot about service through the year. Because serving is actually how the kingdom advances. It's how it advances. It's not just by the power. The power comes to meet a need, to serve someone. If you haven't a heart to serve them, then you can't ever see the power flow. Okay, we're called to dominion. See, so God said, let man shall rule on the earth. It's not changed. It is not changed. Man shall have dominion. He will be an ambassador who will represent me in the earth. It's very clear. And we're going to talk about ambassadors another time. But uh, think about that. What an ambassador is. That you'll bear fruit. Now, God bless them. Now, you see, God bless them. Now, most people, when they read that kind of frank thing, think, oh, well, he say, you know, like a little, well, God bless mommy and God bless dad." You know, like a little prayer like that. Now, listen, when God bless them, the word bless means to speak words of life and empowerment. So when when it says God blessed Adam and Eve, it says he spoke out of heaven into the man he created. Words of life and empowerment. Be fruitful. In other words, be productive with the giftings and abilities and talents and resources you're given. Work. Work. Express your creativity. Express the gifts God's given you. Develop the gift. Be productive. This is a divine word over your life. Be fruitful. It is the most natural thing for a Christian to be productive. It's poverty and negative mindsets that stop that happening. You you have a blessing of God. Productive. Fruitful. Increase. That's you. It's over you. You need to lay hold of it and then fulfill it. And it takes cooperation to do that, and then reproduce. Oh, that's a good bit. I've done my bit. Seven kids. <laughs> Interesting enough, in the culture in Auckland when when that actually we were about to having a family was all that you, should, you were irresponsible if you had more than one. Maybe if you had two. You just three. My were you're responsible. What a culture! We went to Danny Burke, Thank God for that. And we just had heaps of them because it was in the culture there to have heaps of kids, it was great, never regretted any of it, it's been wonderful, but we're called to be, to reproduce the life of God, so it, it means more than just having children, God wanted to populate the earth, with people just like his son Jesus Christ, in other words, God is wanting people whose character and nature and life are just like Jesus, But sin changed it, you say. It messed it up. So now instead of producing people like God, we produce people like ourselves and they sin. They're selfish and they do things that disappoint us and upset us. You've got to get over that. The entrance of Jesus into the world was to get us back on track. So now for us to be fruitful means that the giftings, talents, and abilities we've got, we put them to work with God's blessing and God's mandate on it. And to reproduce means more than just having children and raising up children. It means we reach people and work with them, not just leading them to Jesus, but we bring them to come a a committed follower of Christ who begins to learn the ways of the kingdom. And he becomes just like Jesus. That's why God doesn't like to leave you like you are. And if you haven't changed, something's wrong with you. Any child that you come back and see them after four years is still the same height, they still do the same things, and they talk the same way, there's something wrong there. Stunted growth. Pygmy Christians. I don't want pygmy Christians. Hey, pygmy Christians. We don't want that. We want them really to grow up. So that's the decree of God. Now, of course, the pro- so this is this is what a wonderful thing. What a great privilege for Adam. Here he is. I am God's representative in the earth. I can access the realm of heaven. Oh, I wish I knew more about that. I can talk in fellowship with God, and I can have dominion. So he begins to name things. Because before you can get dominion over anything, you've got to name it. Imagine trying to name every animal Elephant. Rhinoceros. That looks like a rhino to me. Imagine trying to do it all. It's a very creative thing to name all of them. But of course, the thing is, even in our own life, if you can't name the issues in your life, you'll never have dominion over them. Naming is a part of having dominion. Naming is a part of expressing the life of God. That's why when people deny, let me tell you this, denial means you cannot have dominion. Denial, no dominion. You hide that your finances are a mess, no dominion. You hide that you've got emotional blocks, No dominion. You hide the brokenness of your life? No dominion. You can only have dominion over what you name. To name something means you position yourself to have dominion over it. That's why if you want to have dominion over sin, you have to name your sin. The world tries to just confuse it by covering it with a different name. You've just got to name it like it is. Oh, we were living together. They were having fornication. They have to be so hard we're just saying it like it is instead of trying to swish it around so we can't have dominion over it come on lying is lying everyone tries to butter it all up and use pc names now you can call it like it is call it we'll see a little bit later that when it comes to being an ambassador in the kingdom representing god one thing you got to do is know how god calls things and call them the same thing You start calling things the way God calls them. (laughs) So what did Adam do wrong? Well, Adam declared independence. Yes, I know I'm your ambassador, but I'm resigning in my ambassadorship. I don't want you to tell me what to do with my life. I don't want you to tell me how to run my life. I will make my own decisions. Thank you very much. That's what sin is. So when when he said, I will make my own decisions. Yes, I know what you said, but I don't believe it. I know you said that the soul that sins shall die, but I don't really believe that. I know that if you lie, you you die. There's something happens in your relationships that dies. I don't believe it. Lying could get me head. You see, you see, you see how he got into that thing. So what he did then was he abandoned his position ambassador, and he lost the kingdom, and he lost the relationship. Look at this in Luke chapter four, verses five to seven. Luke chapter four, verses five to seven. Because the devil comes very cunning. He says, say, ah, man, go on, God wants to take away your fun. Come on, you're God, do your own thing. Be like a God. See, he was already like God. He was already like God. He didn't have to do anything apart from God. He was already like God. Just need to fulfill his role. Okay, notice what the devil said to Jesus. The devil took him up in verse 5 to a high mountain, showed him all. Notice what he showed him. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, what did he show him? I don't know how he showed it. He probably showed the spiritual realms of rulership that affect all the things that happen in the earth. But he would have shown him something. He saw all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment of time. And the devil said, all this authority, I will give you and their glory because it's been handed over to me. Who handed it over? You see, I'll tell you how it handed over. There's a basic rule that if you conquer someone, then you got the spoils. That's how it works in the world, isn't it? See, and so Adam was overcome. Adam was conquered, so what he had, he lost. What did he lose? Well, he lost everything. He lost dominion. That's why until you become a Christian, you don't have dominion. That's why you struggle. What came into his life instead of what he thought he'd get, he got guilt and he got fear and he got shame and he got powerlessness and he got loneliness and he got grief and he got wars. He got struggles. He got all sorts of things he never expected. He got, you know what he got? You know what he got? He had transfers his allegiance from God Put it under the devil when he did what the devil wanted, now he got from the devil's kingdom. He started to come under that dominion now. So he suffered death, he suffered grief, he suffered fear. Why? Because that's all in the devil's kingdom. See, so he suffered shame, he suffered embarrassment, suffered all kinds of torment, suffered conflict, because all that's in the devil's kingdom. You see, but he just stayed under the kingship of the of, of the law. If he just stayed and, and he'd actually kept himself positioned in kingdom alignment with God, he'd have actually ruled the earth and he'd have expanded all God's kingdom right through the earth it would have been a wonderful place but he didn't he gave it all up and of course now death has entered into the world because of that sin has passed on all of us and so by one man sin entered and now all die see okay then so what did Jesus do let's have a look at what Jesus has done Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 Matthew 4:17 need to move I just want to get to one point here today Matthew 4:17 so Jesus came and it says uh well where is it so Matthew got marks on I can't read it. <laughs> well, you anyway, know what it says? Jesus said this. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when Jesus turned up on the scene, years and years later, as according to a promise, Jesus' message was, there is a kingdom for you to get back. Now, why didn't he say, I've come here to save you? Why didn't he say, I've come here to heal you? Because that was only a part of the whole deal. You know what the whole deal is? I've come to restore relationship and to give you back the kingdom you lost. See, the whole message of Jesus' teaching is the kingdom. I've come to restore you in relationship and to give you a kingdom. Now, have a look at what Jesus did. I'll show you a couple of scriptures. Here's a couple of things that he did. The first thing he did was this. It says he he did this, John 14, verse 8 to 10. He represented or he modeled what a relationship with God is like. He showed what it's like to be a child of God. He said, have you seen me? You've seen the Father. Now, you know what Jesus wants to be able to say? If they've seen you, they've seen me. Unfortunately, Christians don't represent Jesus well. You know why they don't represent him well? They don't know that's what they're supposed to do. You're not there to represent yourself. You're here to represent someone else you your life's not your own. We're here to represent Jesus. So Jesus modeled what a life is like that represents God properly and is in relationship with God. He said in, in another place, he said in John, he said, I only do the things I tell the Father shows me to do. He said, my life is committed to fulfilling what God wants. I'm a kingdom man. This is what it's like. You look at Jesus, you see what it is that God wants us to be like. A person with love, with servant heart, with patience, a person who waits on and understands the need to walk in kingdom principles. He showed us what it's like, and you notice he modeled the uh, dominion. He modeled dominion in in uh, Matthew four twenty three. It says he preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed everyone who was sick. Do you know what? Now you see you understand this. The kingdom, the kingdom, and no sickness. So when he taught about the kingdom, then he demonstrated it, and sick got healed. That's what, he had dominion over sickness. You read some of the other scriptures, and you find he had dominion over all kinds of things. Now we think, oh, that's just Jesus. Come on, we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's where God wants you to go. Matthew 12, he says, If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then no, the kingdom is here. See, people get funny about deliverance because they don't understand the kingdom. The kingdom... It's about the authority, will, and plan of God. So, so if a person's got demons and I cast them out, the kingdom of God has come and invaded that person and de- demolished the demons and driven them away. person's got sickness, you pray for them, they get healed. Kingdom of heaven just manifested in the earth. Dominion started to come from heaven into the earth like it was always intended. So Jesus didn't die to get you to heaven. He died that you might be restored in relationship and then manifest his kingdom according to the gifts and passions you have and with the power of the Holy Ghost. How can you do that if you don't have a relationship with the Holy Ghost? How can you do that if in words we offend the Holy Ghost, we quench the Holy Ghost, in our lifestyle we live in compromise, how can we actually advance the kingdom like we're supposed to do? We can't do it. So Jesus modeled what it was like to represent God properly, to speak the words of God. And I listen to the Father. He shows me what to do. No one tells me what to do. There's no agenda around me. I've just one agenda, and that's to make God honored and famous in the earth. Now, imagine what the church would be like if everyone in the church said, this is my cause for living, that Jesus might be famous through me. Man, what a difference that would make, eh? What a difference. So he modeled what it was like. He modeled modeled dominion over nature. He spoke to things. I tell people to speak into things. They don't understand it. This is a kingdom thing. You speak from your spirit from the realm of God into things and they change how do people get sick you speak the word of God how do people get delivered you speak the word of God how do storms in your life change you've got to learn to speak the word of God we have to learn to act like kings in the earth he came to show up what it was like so Jesus came with a message of the gospel which is good news and this is what his good news was we can come back and be children of God and we can come back and have our dominion back again See, don't stop at line one. I got saved and I'm okay. You've got to take hold of the whole package and have dominion back again. So you're starting to live and function as God intended you to function. Listen, in Philippians 3.20, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, what you've got to understand is, see, when I say the word Christian, people have all kinds of connotations. In the Bible, it says, in in Acts chapter 11, I think verse 26, it said they called the disciples Christians. Christian was a derogatory term given by unsaved people to those who followed Christ passionately. It was a term given to disciples. It was never a term given to half the people. See, a lot of people today, they may use the term Christian, doesn't mean a toot. And God is not interested in religious people like that. He's not interested in living like that. He's never ca- Jesus never came to have a church full of Christians. He came to have a family of sons and daughters who would represent him. He came to have a kingdom where there are citizens. It says, out, now, you, We're a citizen of New Zealand. So you live in New Zealand. That means you've got a New Zealand passport. You've got rights and privileges here. And you've got all kinds of entitlements because we live here in New Zealand. We're a citizen of New Zealand. But when you get born again, you become a citizen of heaven. You become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that means I've got rights. I've got privileges. I got, I've got responsibilities. See, but people, if, you don't, if we just think, oh, just be a Christian, well, that's, that's, that's falling way below the mark. We're called, actually, to be kingdom ambassadors, to be citizens of another kingdom. And that means you live differently. You live differently. And people say, Why do you do this? Why don't you do that? Why do- <laughs> just, I don't come from here. I'm somewhere else. I'm born from above. Born from above. The kingdom of heaven is within me, and I'm living out my purpose in the earth. Of course, you don't understand where I'm coming from, and you don't need to. You need to understand the person I represent. See? We're all called to do this. Every person. You can never be happy just living a life coming to church living a defeated life it cannot fulfill you cannot fulfill you you're a citizen an ambassador a child of God let me just finish with one last scripture here I found Luke chapter 15 just to show you that God wants sons he doesn't want people just to serve or to just to work he wants people who will have relationship and express him here it is Luke chapter 15 I'll finish with this last thing and this is a story of the prodigal son pick up just three verses of it and finish there Now, when the prodigal son, who had told father, now, I don't have you to rule over me. I'm out of here. He goes out. He ruins his life. And then he finally comes to his senses, comes back. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll go back and say, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Notice heaven and then you. He said, now, I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant. I'll come home. So while he was a long way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, I've sinned. He had his rehearsed speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, get this. I want you to see what the father did. Because this is the heart of what God wants for every one of us. I want you to see what the father did. The father hugged him and welcomed him and accepted him because he had a son now. Before he had a rebel in the home, now he had a son. Before the child was dead because he rebelled, now he's got a son, he's alive. Before he was lost, now he's found. He's got a changed heart, see? His heart is, I want to serve. And the father says, oh, he didn't even let him finish the speech. He said to them, do this. He said, he said bring him the best robe. Now that robe, that, the statement is bring him that robe, the first robe, the principal robe. That's what the literal statement the father made was. Bring him the principal robe that will clothe him and restore him to a place of honor again. In Isaiah 61, it tells us, in verse 10, God gives to us a robe of righteousness or right standing. When you come with a repentant heart to God, the first thing he does is welcome you with his arms out. Then he makes and declares you to be right in right standing with him because of what the blood of Jesus did. Now, the second thing he did was this. He gave him a ring. I got a ring on here. It's a lovely ring. It's got on it a head. It's all a gold ring. I like gold. And I like my gold ring. I got it because I liked it. It's a gold ring. Now, get what he did. He put the ring on his hand. Now, in the Bible, a ring was only worn by a rich person or a person in governmental authority. And the giving of a ring always conferred authority to represent that person. So, Pharaoh gave Joseph a ring. And when he had the gold ring on, it had a seal on it, and he could go round. And you know what he'd go round and do? He could put that stamp on it, and he's representing the king. That's what he did for the son. Restored to him the capacity to represent him. Gave him a ring. Gave him the ring of authority to represent the Father in the earth. Uh, there's another in Esther where more, the, king, the king gives Mordecai the ring. That means he can act on behalf of the king and speak on behalf of the king and put the king's seal on something. Now, guess what the Bible says? You were sealed with the Holy Ghost. So not only did God declare you right, he then puts a seal on you. He puts the Spirit of God in you. And it's the beginning of the... You've you got, it like God, the heaven's credit card. I can get things from heaven. That's why in, in when Jesus said, He said, if I, by the Spirit, by the finger of God, the word for ring is also the same word for finger, and it's the same word when He gave Him a ring, and that word finger in this other scripture is exactly the same one. If I, by the finger or by the ring of God, cast out demons, then know the kingdom is here. To give him a ring was to restore him to a place where he could represent the Father and have authority to act on his behalf. No wonder the brother got ticked off. I've been here all this time. He never gave me anything. That actually is like the majority of the church. thats here all the time and doesn't know what God's got for them. It's true. And they get upset when God blesses someone else.
1: I've been here all these years and i am having a miracle. How
0: come I've got a miracle? I've been to the healing course. I've been to the deliverance course. I've been to this course, that course. This guy just turns up out of nowhere and suddenly praises for there's a miracle. It's not for you. No, it isn't. Just get over it. God's a big God. God is God. It's a kingdom. So he does what he likes. You can't ask him what you're doing. I've got to agree with it, or you can't do it. So he's given us the earnestness. Here's the last thing. Just finished with this last thing. He said he gave him all. He put sandals on his feet. Put sandals on his feet. Now listen, when a person was taken captive or prisoner, they took off their sandals so they couldn't run away. When a person got set free, they restored the sandals. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, you are given, your, your feet are to be shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace. Or putting it in a simple way, you are called to bring the gospel of the kingdom to others. To be an ambassador to represent Christ in the earth. You know, no wonder the brother got ticked off. This is the heart of God.